Well, thank you to the band. I love that song. They, uh, they learned that song really in preparation for this series as we talk about uh, being freedom and having, you know, freeing your mind. And so thank you guys for learning that song. We learn about, you know, talk about worshiping God as he teaches us to fight our battles. So excited for Brandon Forslund to get baptized. Man, I was just pumped when I received the text last night. And, uh, you know, just excited for the whole Forsland family. You know, Mike was up here going off on the saxophone earlier. And, uh, you know, he and his wife are such an amazing part of our marriage ministry. Nancy got baptized in our singles, in the singles ministry. And then met Mike and then they had Brandon and now their son, their oldest son is getting baptized. And Brandon has been serving on our sound team, our sound setup, our sound tech for like 10 years now, I think. Probably he's shaking his head. He's saying about 10 years. And so, uh, man, Brandon, I'm just fired up for you. So we're concluding our series today, our freedom series. And today we're going to talk about this whole concept of freedom to love. And that is just a that's just a truth statement. You are free to love. Did you know that? I hope you know that we're going to talk about what you love or who you love. That's going to be the determining factor. Before we do that, I want to recap like just what we've gone over in our series. You know, we spent our first week talking about freedom from anxiety. You know, Ron shared, he said that anxiety can't be taken away from you necessarily. It has to be something that you give away. You give away to God. He can take, take your anxious thoughts, your anxious life. How, how's that been going for you? Have you gone after having freedom from anxiety? I, I preached about freedom from anger after that and how it only comes from constant training and dealing with conflict or striving for peace. And how have you been doing in your anger over the last couple months? It was ironic that I was preaching about that one because that was one of the areas I felt like creeping up in my life, especially as a parent. I'm like, well, I've got to really slow down and not respond to my kids and anger, I have a four-year-old and a two-year-old, for those that don't know me. So it can be easy to get frustrated. We spent the next last three weeks, we talked about freedom that leads to joy. And Chaz talked about this, how joy just comes from seeing things the way God sees them. And, you know, even Caitlin shared about it in her communion, that, that happiness is fleeting, joy lasts forever. We talked about freedom that leads to gratitude. Rob Skinner was here and he shared that gratitude comes when we see the treasure chest of God's blessings in our lives. How often do you go into that treasure chest? How have you been going into that treasure chest? Have you been grateful? Ron last week preached about freedom that leads to perseverance. You know, perseverance is required to finish the race. And we remember that when we are in a time when we have to persevere, God is doing something in our lives. He is working on something in our lives. So don't give up. Get going. As he shared about the guy in the race, he said, we're all in pain. Get moving. And this week brings us to freedom to love. Before we read our theme passage for this morning, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We're so grateful for your word and how it ministers to our lives and our hearts. I pray, God, that... uh, as we look at your life and the life of your son this morning, that we can be inspired and want to change our lives. In your sense, I pray. Amen. 
Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. This is going to be like the theme passage. This is the passage that I want you to remember. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. He says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. The question for the church this morning is, what are you doing with your freedom? What have you been doing with your freedom? What are you going to choose to do with your freedom? See, the, the fact is we all have that choice. But if you're sitting here this morning and you are a Christ follower or you want to be a Christ follower. The call is to love and to serve others. That's what we're supposed to do with our freedom. We're supposed to serve with love being the main motivator behind it. You see, love, it's the great equalizer in our lives. Love, it bridges the tension in your relationships. One of the things I love so much about this church, and I, I get the opportunity to stand up here and look outside all of you, out at all of you, and I see different races, different nationalities, different ages, different backgrounds. What's up, man? People waving, different glass glasses, like he's wearing blue glasses over there. Um, people that wear glasses and people that don't, smart people and uh, people not as smart. And uh, I'm not talking about any of you guys. Rich and poor, although that's relative, right? We'll talk about that one. The fact is, love it bridges the tension because the fact is, when we come into our relationships, we bring a background to it. How we were raised, how we thought. But because of love, we can be connected. I have friends that are 20 years younger than me and 20 years older than me. We think different. We act different. We come from two different generations. But because of love... That tension that could be there because of our differences, and it's, it's really non-existent sometimes, or at least we work it out when there is tension. But that's what love does. It, it, it becomes this amazing and great equalizer. It bridges, it, it makes you stop and listen. When you really love someone, you want to listen to them. You want to hear what they have to say. You want to hear how they feel. It makes you value others. When you love someone, you actually keep eternity in mind when it comes to your relationships. When you have eternity in mind when it comes to your relationships, you'll say the hard things. Because you'll look at your relationships, and it's not just, what can I get out of my relationship, but you'll be thinking things like, wow, like I want to do everything I can to help you get to heaven, and I want you to do everything you can to help me get to heaven, because I love you and I want to spend eternity with you. And because of that, I'll say the hard things to you sometimes. Not because I enjoy it, but because I love you. That's what love does. It's where you fight for unity and don't let personal differences get in the way, like skin color, dislikes, income, social status. You see, when you understand the freedom that you have in Christ, you want to love. You want to give and serve. Which begs the question, 
what does it mean if I don't love? What if it means if I'm sitting here and, man, for the last few years, I just, I just haven't been loving. I've kind of lost that desire to love. I've lost the desire to serve and give. I've, I've, you know, I've just kind of lost it. I, I, you know, I, get, I get the battle. I've been there before. Man, are you still connected with the freedom that you have in Christ? Because when you're connected with that, the Bible tells us we will live differently. If you're here this morning and you've lost that desire that you had at one point, get it back. You know, the message version, I love how it puts this verse. It says, it is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That is how freedom grows. Doing what you want to do for yourself, it says, will destroy your freedom that you have in Christ. It doesn't mean that you can't take care of yourself because there's times that you need to take care of yourself. You need to get, get away. You need to replenish. You need to refocus. You need to refresh. But you can't live in that place or state of selfishness. You just can't live there and think for a second that you are experiencing the true freedom of Christ and all that he has to offer. So if I had to leave you with one thought, if I, if I had to say, here's the one thing I want you to get today before you leave. We'll go to the next slide. It's that we have been set free so that we can love. We've been set free from sin, from bondage, even from our thoughts, from our lives, our past so that we can love. That's what the whole gospel message is about. That's what Jesus came to do for us. Is he came to free us so that we can love. That's really what it's all about. Now, as I was preparing this message and just uh, thinking about inspiring people, someone that came to mind was Nelson Mandela. He was South Africa's first black head of state. He was a liberator. He was a political leader. He's a philanthropist. This is him pictured. He's got a Hope Worldwide uh, hat on. And he's here receiving the first ever Hope Unity Award. And and there's a few powerful quotes that, that I just wanted to share with you guys as we're going into the lesson. The first quote that I wanted to share with you is he says, As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead me to my freedom. He was in prison before he became the president. I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. That's what a whole series has been about. It's, it's talking about freeing your mind. Because see, some of us, we've been free of our sin, but we haven't really gotten free of our mind. We've got bitterness and hatred and criticalness built up in there. And we're just not dealing with it. And truth is, you can be sitting here at church and still be in prison. It's not the prison that, you know, is up the street in Castaic. It's the prison in our minds. Are you living there right now? Are you in a prison? He also says, for to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. 
Are you living in a way that enhances the freedom of others? Or are you still stuck in a prison? Are you stuck in a prison of your mind? I know for myself, there's a... Go back to that last slide. Are there any thoughts that run through your guys' mind that are still that are imprisoning you? I know for myself, the thoughts that I think of, like, you're not good enough, Aaron. That thought, I have to constantly wrestle every day. You're not a good enough minister, a good enough father, good enough husband, good enough friend. And it's not the truth, and I know it's not the truth, but that is a thought that just gets in there. It's not about bitterness. It's not about hatred. It's about my value and how God sees me. And so I have to constantly battle that one. Anybody here feel that one? You're not good enough? Only a couple of you? Good. You guys are awesome. Only a few of you? Okay, I see more hands going up. Okay, there we go. Okay. I'm not alone. I'm like, wow, okay. Another thought that I come up, that, that comes through my mind is like, just like, who cares? Who cares? Anybody here think that one? Just who cares? I've even gotten to the point where sometimes I'm like, all right, I'm just going to say my piece to you so I don't feel guilty anymore. And then who cares? Right? You ever done that to somebody? I'm going to do the bare minimum effort to make sure I say my piece and say my little truth that I think you need to hear. And then after that, I'm backing out because who cares? It's on you. I'm, I'm just giving it to you. And, and I know in my head that I'm not doing everything that I can to love that person. What thoughts are running around in your mind that are, that are putting you in a prison? What's stopping you from just loving people? Go, to the, uh, go two slides over. Um, the amazing words of Pat Benatar. Love is a battlefield. If you guys don't know that song, you need to go listen to that song. It's a good song. Was it 70s or 80s? I, can't, I don't know. 80s? Okay, yeah, yeah. All I know is I grew up listening to that song. I was born in 82, so I'll, that's just... My parents let me... We listened to lots of great music. See, love is, but it's true. Loving people is a battlefield, right? Sometimes it's a battlefield that's going on in their mind. Sometimes it's a battlefield that's going on in your mind. And that's why I put underneath that is that it requires a mission mindset. If you're going to love people, it is a mission. And it requires a mission mindset. To live in a way that enhances the freedom of others is what the Christian mission really is all about. It requires love, but, but we know that, that loving the way the Bible calls us to love is just a challenge sometimes. It is a battlefield. It's a battle. To use my freedom to serve others, it just doesn't come natural. It doesn't happen by accident. It has to be intentional. It has to take, it takes preparation. So we're going to spend the rest of our time just looking at Jesus. Because when I talk, when I think about the freedom to love and, and the best example I can think of love is Jesus. OK, um, in John chapter 17.
And this scripture never really jumped out to me before until, until looking at this. In John chapter 17, let me set the stage for you here. In verses, in chapters 13 through 17, we get this really awesome and, and in-depth look at the heart of Jesus. What's going on here is he's, he's preparing to go to the cross. He hasn't gone to the cross yet. And then the last, the four, for four chapters, John, the apostle, the one whom Jesus loved, records their conversation. He records Jesus washing their feet. He records Jesus telling them that, hey, I'm going to leave you. I have to leave you so that the Spirit can come to you. He's telling them that I want you to stay connected to me. Remember me that, that I'm going to lay my life down for you because you're my friends. Actually, that's what a friend does. They, they, that's, that's true love as someone that lays down their life for other people. And then in chapter 17, he prays. And we get this extended prayer of Jesus. Did you know in that prayer Jesus prayed for you? Did you know that? Jesus prayed that we are unified. He said, he, I want them to be so unified that it's like the, the, the outside world says, what is going on? That, that it gets the attention of other people. It's why we should be really bothered when we're, not dis, when we're disunified with other people. Because we're not the answer to Jesus' prayer. But in John chapter 17, verse 4, look at this verse. He says, I have brought you glory on earth. He's talking to his father. By finishing the work you gave me to do. You see, typically when we think about Jesus, what we think about for him is he came to the cross and died for our sins and he resurrected on the third day. And that's a really good thing to think about with him. Uh, that's really what it was all about. But he is sitting here saying at this juncture in my life. Before I go to the cross, I have already glorified you, my father, my heavenly father here on earth. I've accomplished the work that you've given me to do. Which was I came to explain you to mankind. To make you personal, to make you present See, Jesus, by the way that he lived his life, he took the guesswork out of God. If you, I mean, he didn't claim to have the best explanation of God. He claimed to be the best explanation of God. That's who Jesus was. Like, you can't be a Christian and not know about the life that Jesus had. You can't live the life of a Christian without knowing his life. If all you know about Jesus is he died on the cross for your sins and he resurrected, that's important. But there's a lot that happened before that. And he's sitting here praying and he says, hey, I've, I've, up to this point, I've accomplished the mission. I've brought, Father, I've brought you to the people. I've shown them what you are like. You know, our God, I've shown them this complete picture of what God is really like. If you've never studied the life of Jesus and just looked at his life and really read the Gospels, looking at who he is and who he was and how he lived his life, how he responded to issues and social issues, how he dealt with mental health, how he dealt with serving people and how he loved people. Wow, we're missing something. 
Because we're called to imitate the way he lived his life. And at the end of his life, before he went to the cross, he's saying these words. I've, I've finished the work that you gave me to do. Now go over to Luke chapter 4 because we get a picture of the work. And we read this scripture with our Bible talk leaders and assistants at the beginning of the year. As we prepared for the beginning, of the, as we prepared for the upcoming year. And um, I love what Jesus has to say. In Luke 4, what's happened before all of this is Jesus has come onto the scene. He got baptized by John the Baptist. Then he went into the desert and, or the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. And then after that, his, his ministry started taking off and he was preaching and teaching and healing people. And then in Luke chapter 4, he gets back to his hometown in verse 16. It says, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. Now, you got to know your Bible really well to be able to turn to a place in a scroll. And then Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he dropped the mic. I mean, isn't that, that, this is like the, this is like the greatest boss move ever by Jesus. But he gets up in front of everybody and he tells them, this is my mission. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be giving, I'm bringing good news to the poor. I'm giving freedom to the prisoners, sight to the blind, freedom to the oppressed. He didn't just come to teach the ways of God. He came came to demonstrate the heart of God. It wasn't just what God was like, though. It was also who he liked. He said, man, I came for the I came for the poor. You ever been poor? Guess what? If you were poor, you'd be on Jesus's friends list. You ever been in prison in your mind? Or in prison in general, he came for you too. Blind, maybe not literally blind, but blind to the truth, blind to who he really is. He came for you. Oppressed, beat down, he came for you. He said, that's why I came. Every one of us would have been on his friends list. Jesus introduced the very idea that God loves everyone. And that was, to the culture of that day, revolutionary. 
That was revolutionary to them because in that culture, they did not value humans. They only valued certain people. But if you were poor, if you were oppressed, if you were a kid, if you were a woman, if you had something bad happen to you in your life and business, if you had, if, if your husband died or your wife died, actually it was really bad if your husband died, if you were a widow, if something happened to you and you were born blind or you became blind and you lost a limb, you were born with a defect in some way, you were marginalized by the society back in that day. You were not valued back in that day. Only certain people were valued. And Jesus comes and he says, I came for them. He taught. He shows up and he flips the script on everybody. Everywhere Jesus went, he elevated the dignity of everyone. That's what he did. He showed that compassion was a sign of strength. He showed that when you are meek, you are not weak. Meekness is strength under control. He said that to take care of someone that you know cannot give back to you is a sign of virtue. You know, Jesus redefined what your neighbor was. Your neighbor was no longer somebody that thought like you or looked like you or came from same, the same religion as you. As a matter of fact, when he talked about neighbor, he used what they call half-breeds, Samaritans. People that were on the outcast, that were hated, and for hated for hundreds of years, people. And he used that guy to, to define what neighbor was. He said, neighbor isn't just the people that are thinking like you and looking like you and acting like you. It is anybody that is in need. That's who your neighbor is. Jesus elevated the poor to another level. There's one day he's with his disciples and he's watching people as they put money in the basket. How would you feel if that's what we did as the money, as the basket is going around? I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Now, how's your giving? See, what Jesus did when it talked about giving, he, he, he saw this woman, this poor widow show up. And everybody else is given out of their wealth. And she was poor and she gives two copper coins Hardly anything. And he pulls his disciples aside and he says, guys, you see that? You see what she did? She gave out of her poverty. She's actually given more than all the rest of them. You know, those of you in here that, you know, you're like, man, I give five dollars a week because that's all I can give. That's half my allowance. Yeah. Some of you are like, yeah, that is, you know, (laughs) Man, you are, but if that's you, you're given more than anybody else. That's what Jesus said. Because you're given out of your poverty. He elevated the poor. He elevated women. Think about the woman at the well. What he did, the woman at the well, uh, like that was just totally socially unacceptable. For him to even be talking to her was socially unacceptable. That's why she was so surprised. Like, why are you even here talking to me right now? But for him to ask her to give him a drink of water, that just blew her mind. But he elevated like the role of women. 
What about when he called Matthew to be his follower? Matthew was a tax collector. He was a traitor to his people. And Jesus asked him to follow him. And he wrote one of the books of the Bible. Like, I wonder how his, how the other follow, I mean, Jesus was working on the hearts of the disciples a lot when it came to love. He challenged them to love. He's like, no, 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 you're going to be friends with this guy. The guy who we all think is a traitor. How everybody else looks around and says, he's a traitor. No, we're going to adopt him and he's going to follow me. And just wait to see what he does. Matthew is still influencing us 2,000 years later because Jesus chose to love him. You want to learn about love? Study Jesus. If you never studied Jesus, that's your homework. You can spend the next 10 years doing it and you won't even accomplish everything that could be accomplished. He showed us how to be successful on the battlefield of love. He lived his life on a mission. In closing, I'd like everybody to turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And I have a charge for the entire church. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says in verse 17. Command those who are rich. And now I'm going to stop right there and I'm going to define rich. For us right now. It's about wealth. Right? But I want you to think about it in other ways here in a second. I want you to think about grace. If you've been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins like Brandon's going to do today, you are rich in grace. You have received the full measure of his grace. Your sins have been washed away. You are rich in grace. If you are connected with the love of God, you are rich in love. Some of you are just rich financially. Everyone here has a talent that you are rich at, a gift that you are rich at. You have something to offer. If you've received forgiveness, you are rich in forgiveness. So now with that in mind, I want you to let's finish it. Command those who are rich in this present world to not be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And here's the verse. Here's the challenge. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. If you are rich, if you are rich in grace, in love, in forgiveness, in talent, in ability, in money, then be rich. By enriching the lives of other people. Some of us are bad at being rich. We're not generous in serving like a rich person is called to be. We need to repent. We are rich beyond measure. We've received grace. We've received forgiveness. We have so much to offer other people. Be rich and give. Your devotion to God will be demonstrated and authenticated through your love and your compassion 
for other people. The how you spread the wealth, so to speak. We have been set free so that we can love. So as you leave here today, I want to ask you, what are you going to do with that freedom? What are you going to do with the riches that God has lavished on you? My hope and my prayer for you and the church this morning is that we spread the wealth. That because we are rich, we be rich. And we enrich the lives of everyone around us. Let's stand on up and we're going to close in one final song.